Oh yes, this is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. Today's show is sponsored by Ringmaster on a mission to launch B2B podcasts that create relationships, generate revenue, and drive growth. Ringmasterlive.com. Bam. All right, there it is. Oh man, I am just, oh, I'm so excited to be here. So excited to introduce the guest today. She is back. She is back and on the attack. How many things can I rhyme in one sentence? My name isn't Jack. I can't wait to introduce you to her. She's a marketing leader, a go-to marketing strategist, and who doesn't need to go to market and figure out who the heck are we talking to? What are we going to say? Author, researcher, speaker. Let's be honest, B2B marketing nerd and absolute unicorn, author of Unleash Possible, podcast hosts of many shows, Today in Woburn and Unleash the Impossible podcast. She's actually got a book out in June, but what we're going to talk about is a course that she just launched around finding your ideal profile. And God knows we all need help with that because getting that right is what makes everything else work. Founder and CMO of the Marketing Advisory Network, Samantha Stone, welcome to the show. Uh, to be here, this is like the best way to start my day. Yes. And if you want, we will record that intro for you so that you could just hear it anytime <laughs> you need. Or I should have that on play when I'm feeling down about myself. I'm just yes. going to have Casey's voice in the background, like cheering me up. I love that. Ooh, it's yeah. <laughs> okay. So I can't wait to get into this because I have struggled with ideal profile, buyer, who is the right person. And you know, everyone's thinking everyone is my ideal buyer. So let me shut up and I'm going to pass you this thing. You've, you've wielded this before and it, and it missed you here. Here it is. Oh God. Okay. It's heavy. All right, here you go. Thank you, Casey. That's amazing. Yeah. Grab Thor's it. hammer. You got I'm it? Taking it. I've got uh, it. I okay. got it. Oh, wow. Well, that was, that yeah, was strong. You've been working out those Thor muscles. That's right. Take every, Thor's every hammer. Every third day I'm at the gym doing like, Two fake push-ups, but you know, it, it helps. Oh yeah, it shows, it shows. <laughs> so take Thor's hammer and smash for me some kind of marketing myth, bogus strategy, misconception. Just set the record straight once and for all. I love this question because um, it is, it, it, I think this is just such a big thing. So there's gonna be like a million myths, but I'm gonna focus on, you know, buyers and things. And I would just tell you that everything we think we know about how to sell to our buyers we're just wrong. We're wrong almost all the time. <laughs> and it's not because we're dumb. It's not because we're not analytical. It's not because we're not thoughtful human beings who have a good product or service. It's because we listen to ourselves too much. It is way, way too easy to get just focused. We spend all the time sitting in on sales meetings and talking to salespeople and talking to our board. And we spend all this time talking about how big our opportunity is, right? Like the biggest opportunity in the world because we're trying to get money to our business, right? We're trying yeah. to invest in us and cheer us on. And in reality, that's where we fail. We really need to focus on the people we can best serve. That's how we grow our businesses. That's how we stay focused. And that's how we make money. Now, there are some businesses out there that making money isn't their main objective. Um, it may be, uh, you know, awareness around a cause that's really important to them if you're a nonprofit. Well, those, those people don't right. listen to this show. This show is about <laughs> right. hardcore well, growth. <laughs> However it is, right, this is, about, this is about making money. This isn't about just growing awareness of what we're doing. And so right. we have to really change how we think about 
learning about our buyer and where those insights come from and being comfortable being wrong. We just have to be good at that, you know, and get comfortable with it because when we're wrong, we find out something new that we can change to get our business even better. It's an awesome opportunity when I learn something new about my buying community. I love that. Get comfortable being wrong. It reminds me because uh, sometimes being wrong triggers me and a few other people. And we're just, oh, God, I'm wrong. Does that mean I'm terrible? And I, no, it's not, right? Like you're learning it's, something. It's not. And, you know, as marketers, it's a dichotomy in who we philosophically are because we spend most of our day trying to convince people that we're the right product for them, that this message is important. We're trying to attract them to us, right? We're doing all day. We're doing things to try and get people to agree with us. Right. Um, we have to turn that off when it comes to the research part of our job, because if we spend our research time trying to get people to agree with us, we don't learn. And if we don't learn, we don't get better. And so it's I, I struggle with this, Casey. Anybody who knows me and has known me for years and anybody who knew me way back would feel even more strongly about this. Like, Samantha, you do not like being wrong. Right. I, uh, We're gonna put your high school I, photo I, as, as a uh, you know like you know, a you video over. Style now you get the high school. I mean, I had the full eighties, you know, hairspray vibe, yeah. jeans, and like the MTV T-shirt. Maybe I had it all. I had it all. Well, I didn't have an MTV T-shirt because I lived out of the country, so um, I didn't. I didn't have that, but I had you know the whole crazy jeans and the crazy hair and Heck you know. Yeah. I think we should bring it back. In. You want to bring it back? What do you think? The crazy hair? I don't think yeah. I can afford the hairspray. That would be weird. I know, right? <laughs> I don't think our environment can afford the hairspray either. Really, really bad for the ozone layer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe because that style went out, that's why the ozone hole repaired itself. Is that what it is? That's I don't it. know. Yeah, yeah. But okay, you were talking about how when we're doing research to figure out who our ideal buyers are, instead of trying to learn something, we're trying to convince people of something. And that spoke to me as well, trying to get agreement from people instead of trying to honestly, get some disagreement, get, you know, get something that disagrees even with yourself. So how do, how do we go about doing that? Yeah, you know, so it's really interesting challenge because when you're doing research, even when you're the best of intentions, right, I'm really going to learn. Sometimes when you're doing message testing in particular, this comes up as a barrier because, oh, somebody's getting excited about the thing I'm putting in front of me. They're getting good feedback. So what do we do? Our body language leans in. We smile. Um, we make subtle cues and the tone of our voice goes up a yeah. little bit. And it's not even intentional, right? But the person that we're interviewing and we're collecting feedback from, they hear that in our voice and in our body languages. So um, two things that are really important to, to do research objectively. So first of all, um, uh, how you frame questions. And so I do a few things. So first thing is I always ask both prompted and unprompted questions. And I know you know what those things are, but some No, no, no. Tell me. Not. I'm, I'm pretty much so... a caveman with a, with a computer. <laughs> I don't believe Caveman that. with a laptop. That's my future podcast. I like, oh, I would so listen to that. <laughs> right? Absolutely listen to that. I'm all in. Um, so prompted que unprompted questions are when you don't feed somebody an answer and ask them to, to pick among the list, for example. Okay. So instead of saying, here's a list of things that might frustrate you, rate the how, you know, which of those orders. That's a perfectly fine prompted question to ask. But before you feed them with the answers you think they might have about, you might just ask, what's the most frustrating part of your day? And just listen and just see what they come, come up with, right? 
So I always like to ask unprompted questions first because I haven't seeded an opinion in the person that I'm speaking to. So that's a really important part of the research process that, that we want to do. Let me dive into this because I'm a bit of a question nerd with all this yeah. podcasting. So prompted question means you're you're like giving them the answer and unprompted means you're just, it's like almost like a fill in the text box kind of thing. Yeah. So um, you might be um, in a prompted question, you may be giving them multiple answers and having them rank them or choose among them or rate it in some scale about whether they agree, might be asking, do you agree with this? And if you agree by how much? So um, you give people that, but an unprompted question is sort of an open-ended question that they are just going to give you feedback. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And so it's a really what's the danger of getting that confused? Well, what happens is, and I, I did, I've done this unintentionally, right? Where I, I sit with someone and I start listing out the things that I think, for example, might be their challenges. And I give them a list of 10 things. And I did this little experiment with myself, a completely unscientific experiment, but I wanted to sort of test how important it was the order. And so I did about 20 interviews um, that were similar. I did 10 of them where I asked the prompted question first and 10 where I asked the unprompted question first. And what I found was um, when I asked the unprompted question first, I got a lot of um, variety in the answer. That's not true. It's not that I got a lot of variety in the answers, but I would get things that maybe didn't sound like that was on my list. They use their own words. They use their own phrasing, which is important for a marketer, right? Because if we want to sell the buyers, we want to sound like them. And so them telling me how they describe the problems and challenges they have is really important. When I asked the prompted question first, and then I said, so what's your most frustrating thing? It sounded like my list because yeah. I had already seeded it. And so mentally, people are going to use the words and phrases they just talked to you about. Yeah. And so it was, it's not that it isn't useful information, because, but it becomes far less useful to me if I am um, predisposing how they talk about their challenges, or it could be any other aspect. I'm just using that particular type of question as an example. Right. Almost like I could see, I mean, I think I remember somebody asking me a prompted question, one of those, you know, survey or something, something related to a company. Hey, what, what value do you get out of our service or whatnot? And they, they gave me things, none of which were really the thing. And but I had to pick one. So in my mind, I'm thinking, wow, your marketing is going to be going all after any one of these things, and none of those are the reason why I bought your product. That is the exact thing you want to avoid doing, right? And here's the thing, and it's so common because what happens is we build a product or we design a service, and we spend a lot of time and money developing whatever it is that we, that we bring to market. Yeah. And we often naturally want to promote the thing that was hardest for us to do, right? Because that is the thing that we made the investment but it doesn't always mean the hardest thing to do is the thing of most value to our buyers. And so when we, you know, the situation you just described, my heart hurts a little bit because that person thinks they're doing the right thing. They're asking you questions. They're saying, look, I gave you a long list. You picked these top two. But without that greater context, without letting you have the opportunity to openly say what value, you don't learn that this little thing that you didn't even realize your buyers were using your product for all of a sudden becomes more important to them. That affects your messaging. Um, I'll give a really common example of this that we all have heard of. So when LinkedIn's product first came out, I mean, many, many moons ago at this point, right? 
it was basically a resume tool. You put your resume on LinkedIn and recruiters called you um, to offer you jobs or you connected to recruiters there. That is what the system was. Well, all of a sudden, people started using LinkedIn in really different ways for very broad purposes. And it is now, you know, certainly used for that purpose, but for many, many, many other things as well. At first, LinkedIn resisted that a little bit. They resisted the change because they said, but it wasn't built to do that. Hmm. But had LinkedIn not come around, it may not be the product that it is today because we have to let our our customer, our audience guide not just how we talk about what we do, but but what we deliver and how we actually deliver it. Wow. They they could have easily been monster.com at this point. You know, Correct. Correct. Which, or career builder, which maybe they're still around, but no network effect. Yeah, no, they're necessarily bad businesses, but no. they're different businesses. Different. And LinkedIn ended up listening to their audience and they ended up putting in different kinds of features, some of which stuck and some of which have right. And, and all great durable companies that last over time evolve. Because if you're doing something incredibly well, and if you even if you create a whole new category, if it is a real market, other people are going to join you. They're going to come along for the ride. So you have to build businesses that evolve and being very open to how your audience's needs are described and what they do is one of the ways we build a durable business. Not just a good business, but one that can last many years. That is it, right? Like we'll just go to print with what you just said because like that, that summarizes why we're going to get into your course, why we're going to... Do all spend all this time for this research because whether you're just starting out or you're, you've been around for a while, you need to evolve. You need to listen. Whatever you first did is probably not the thing anymore. Talk to me about that. So maybe we did this right in the first place. I imagine that our buyers are shifting and changing too. So even if you nailed this eight years ago, it's a different different story today. If you nailed this a year ago, it's a <laughs> no. different story today. You know, um, the research that I did, I really looked at people who did, um, you know, sort of persona and buyer insight research and what they did. And we've all, we, we know they're more profitable. Their customers are happy. We know all of those things. But the other thing that um, I found really fascinating is the people who did like really serious every six months checkpoints were significantly better at driving revenue and meeting both sales and marketing business goals than the people who did it less frequently. And so- you know, I come from a philosophy, we should always be talking to customers, as species, but, but a concentrated real effort every six months that's meaningful. And if nothing else, this last couple of years has made that even more important because buyers are have accelerated digital transformation. So even B2B buyers who we think need to talk to us, like you're buying something that's $200,000 and it's highly configurable, I'm going to talk to a salesperson and the salesperson plays this incredibly important role. Salesperson does play an incredibly important role, but those buyers still want B2B e-commerce experiences as part of that process. And we, um, that has grown more and more and more. And one example of that is even something as simple as doing an electronic transaction where I'm putting a purchase order into an online form and I'm signing, you know, all the things that need to be done and I'm placing an order that way. B2B, we still ship out email. I mean, thankfully we have e-signature systems, a lot of us, right? We've moved a little bit more to that, but we're still shipping things in email. Contracts are going back and forth that way. We can't accept, you know, purchase order numbers in our, you know, systems today. So 
we have to really be better at B2B e-commerce. So that's one example. But there are, in your business, there are going to be lots of other things that have shifted. Shifted. Now, I have never done a research study where we didn't learn something new, but sometimes you're just validating, hey, we're on track, that market is the same, and the changes are subtle. And that's okay, but you want to know it. You don't want to be guessing if there are significant things that I need to shift. Because if you don't change them now, and you wait a year or two years or three years, other people are going to move faster than you and you're going to lose whatever advantage you have with those customers. And look, we're going into a recession globally. That is going to happen. That has started to happen. It's not the end of the world, but we're seeing big things happen as a result of that. And whether or not your company is going to financially suffer or your buyers, or just, everybody's on edge and at risk a little bit and a little bit more mm. careful. So when that happens, you need to refocus on your current customers because getting new customers is just going to be harder. It's going to be harder. Doesn't mean you're not going to do it. Doesn't mean you're not going to be successful and make money, but it's going to be more work. And so protecting the customers you already have and upselling and nurturing those customers that you already have is really, really critical and important. And we so much, we tend not to focus our attention there. And we tend to focus on the, the new things that I can pull in. And that is always a risk, but it's particularly dangerous in an economic time like we're facing now. Love that. That six I feel like check. we got really serious all of a sudden, Casey. I'm sorry. We did. We did. Okay. Uh, quick juggling interlude. <laughs> oh, yes. I love it. Okay. And boom. Uh, great. So, yeah, I love the idea of the six-month check. And in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, that's how I make sure I can get more customers. But you mentioned the upsell. So it's like, okay, now I know how to continue to provide value to my existing customers and potentially get them even more engaged in our services or products. That all sounds like a win-win. How do I model out this meeting that happens every six months? What, what kind or research? What has to happen every six months and how do I do it? Yeah, you need to actually build a research plan. So I'm a really, research comes in lots of ways. So we as marketers have, generally speaking, most of us have a continuous feed of data. Even in the most simple environments, we have Google telling us what pages are being visited at what, you know, and how often. We know, if not exactly who's opening our emails, we have a sense of those. We attend events and we talk to people, right? So we have all these data points that come in. If we're lucky and we have a technology product where we can see what features are being used within the product, right? That's another stream of data that comes to us. So there's just, just tons and tons of data coming from us. You start there. You start by understanding and asking yourself a bunch of questions. Where are we making money? Where have we seen shifts in win rate? Where have we seen changes in average deal size? What's happening in the market overall? Like you, you begin with all of that. And then you do the really um, hands-on qualitative research. You go out and you, in a concerted and focused effort, talk to people. You talk to your audience and you understand the why behind the what the data is telling you. Data tells us what happens, but it rarely tells us why it happens. And we need to understand why it's happening so that we can adjust accordingly. And so you go out and you talk to people. Sometimes you just talk to five people. It's okay, right? Five people is better than no people. Sometimes you need to go out and talk to 200 people, right? It depends on what you're trying to do, how diverse your audience is and all of that. But talk to people who are actually in your target audience. Yeah. 
Then once you've done that, you can do more survey quality, uh, quantitative research to validate the things you found. And you can do things like, hey, we think these are the better messages. Now I want to A-B test on my website or multivariate test on my website, the exact wording, which is better. But you need to build up to that and know what to test. And so that qualitative piece is the piece that I think is a little bit of a lost art. It's the piece that we struggle with. It's also very time consuming because I actually need to find my audience, meet with them, speak to them, right? And become really good listening. So we were talking about before, we we're talking about prompted and unprompted questions. One of the other things that we need to be really careful of is how we interview someone, how, what clues we have, who does that. So it needs to be someone in the organization or externally that can be as objective as possible, that isn't so emotionally connected to what you're trying to learn that they're going to have a hard time separating it. And um, this is always a tricky balance and it's a, it's a very hard thing to do. But when you get this right, or at least mostly right, you get incredible insights that you can then act on and understand what's happening. But it just takes planning. You've got to do it. You have to plan it. Um, and you have to uh, document what you found in that process. Because look, it's one thing to go out and do all this research and find these things. And then it's another thing to get the organization to use what you found. So now I've got to take this information that I've found and I've got to figure out how to get it enacted in the images we choose and how we structure our web pages in the presentations that our salespeople give and how we're trading the sales team. Maybe there's a whole bunch of new content that I want to create because I understand this process better. Maybe there's new buyers on the buying community that we haven't served a lot in the past, but we now have to serve more. So we have to then build a plan based on what we've learned to go off and execute. And um, sometimes we fal falter um, in, in that. It's one of the reasons when I do a custom research project for a company, um, I actually always have a 30-day check-in. And that 30-day check-in is really about, did you use any of the stuff we talked about? Where you, who, who's got it? Who doesn't? How did your trainings go? What feedback have you gotten? Who does, who's not convinced? And it's just a point to help people make sure we're building it into their day-to-day -day processes so they can get really, um, you know, it takes time and money to do this stuff. Let's use it. Let's not let it, let it go to waste. Mm -hmm. I think you kind of, uh, you slipped in there. The fact that you can do this re research. I, I think there's a lot of people listening, myself included, who are like, wait, can I just pay you to do this? <laughs> but yeah, I think it's I important to get in front of your customers, you know? I, I'm always, um, I'm always happy to do it. There are, so let me tell you when it makes sense to do that. Okay. So um, it doesn't always make sense to pay some, even though I make my money doing that. I don't, it's not always the right scenario for someone like me to be brought yeah. in to do it. So um, it doesn't, it makes sense to do it when um, you have a team that is mostly focused on maybe demand generation and maybe you have a single product marketer or no product marketing or you have lots of brand team, people who don't have research skills. And so sometimes it makes sense to hire someone else to do it because you don't have the skills in-house and you want to teach them the skills. So sometimes it's just to pay someone, sometimes it's to sort of mentor and coach people through a live project that they can build up those skills. That makes sense. Another time it makes sense to have someone is you've done research or you've thought about doing research and people are arguing, there's an intense um, argument and tension across the business on things that people feel uh, are universal truths. Mm. And so sometimes 
I'm brought in by product marketing teams who actually know the markets fairly well, but they can't convince someone else in some part of the business to, to make important changes. So they want a third party to come in to help do some research and also facilitate the discussions of how to um, adapt to that information. And those tensions come from all kinds of normal ways that happen within an organization. Um, so that th those are uh, two instances that it's really, really helping. And then there's a third look. There's plenty of people who have the skills to do this and have had it on their to-do list for a year and a half and it hasn't happened. Well, it's time to call in some help um, and, and do that. And sometimes calling in help means hiring someone like myself to come in and do it with you and for you. Awesome. Sometimes calling in some help takes somebody on the team and teaching them how to do that. And I sometimes will sort of mentor someone through a, an actual project. But I also recently launched a class to help people learn some of these core skills to get started. And the reason I did that was you you should have these skills within your organization, right? Like, you know, that, it, and I, somebody, not always can somebody afford to hire someone like me, right? Sometimes they, they can't afford it. Sometimes they can afford it, but you inherently have lots of these things you want to do. So you want it to be inside and you want people to be growing and and learning their new capabilities, so learning it is is really possible. So, you know, I I want people to do this. How they do it, I, I'm happy to teach you how to do it. The book that I wrote does a lot of this. The course that I wrote does a lot of this. I can help you do it, or you can do it on your own. But just make sure you're doing this very regular focus check-in. And the check-in is not part of something else you're already doing. If you are... Um, for example, doing usability testing for your product. Great. Those are people you might get insights. But the kind of interview you have for usability testing is not the same that you have for understanding how the buying process happens. And maybe you can sneak in one or two questions into that process, but it's different. And you need to make sure that you're making time to talk to folks. The other thing is we often want to talk to the people that are easiest for us to get a hold of. So we all have, we've done a good job building our business, our cheerleaders, our customers who love us, the people who have been with us for a really long time, and their opinions matter, and you should talk to them. But they're not going to give you the hard new clarity that talking to people who don't know you well or at all are going to offer. So whatever you do, talk to people who know and love you. Talk to people who know and hate you. Lost account, and hate is too strong a word, but people who you didn't choose you, lost, you know, those lost accounts, those people mm -hmm. who maybe do have a, had a negative exception in the past, experience in the past. You want, you need to talk to those. And then you need to be out there who just don't know you at all or, or may recognize your name and that's it. Um, because if you're trying to attract people to your company that don't know you through your advertising and your campaigns and all your marketing efforts, if you only talk to people who know you, you don't understand the disconnect of what they don't because the people who know you already have a perception of what you do and who you are. So what's going to attract them is going to be different than a person who maybe heard your company name and that's it and doesn't really understand. Or someone who's had a negative experience and, and has a negative affinity and doesn't want to. So I'm going to have to say something different to them to bring them in to give us another chance. So be really thoughtful about the audience that you're attracting to. A lot of times when I do research projects where I do help, sometimes it's split. They're talking to, they've talked to a set of people they have those existing relationships with but they might bring me in to talk to a different one. Or sometimes they have talked to external people, but they're too close to the community that they know and love. And they want someone that doesn't have that personal emotional relationship. So the person will 
those people who know them might be a little bit more open and honest um, when they feel they're not insulting someone that they like, right? Hell yeah, which goes back to your point of having someone objective doing the conversation because yeah. if it's you and you're sensitive to these people and you want to hear the praise or you don't want to hear the hate or you yeah. get somebody else to do it, who... There's a reason we don't have salespeople do their own win-loss analysis, right? And it's not <laughs> Why is that? Right? Like, and salespeople have great insight. If you're a good salesperson, you have a good relationship, they'll often tell you things, but they will tell you different, they will tell somebody else different things than they told you. Yeah. Um, that is not bad. That is not because a salesperson isn't good at their job or isn't um, a good human being. It's just the nature of how humans interact with each other. Yeah. If I'm angry at you, everything I tell you is going to be tainted with anger and frustration. If I love you, everything I tell you is going to be surrounded with that extra bit of kindness and love. If I think you're doing an objective job and talk to me and I'm open and you've done a good job of building rapport with the person you're interviewing, then I'm going to learn something in a different context. It's all important. It's important for salespeople to learn things. It's important for you to know your best people. And it's important to have more objectivity as part of that insight. Love that. I know which side I want to keep you on. That's for sure. <laughs> Got all nervous for a second. So tell me this course. Um, I love the fact that you're making a course because I actually had a chance to attend one of your in-person courses. Remember fantastic. that. And the, the other people there, the cohort of the class was a sort of an unintended value, at least for me. I was, oh man, these are great people to collaborate with and learn from. Network yeah. with so it was maybe intended for you. It was by design from me. <laughs> uh, right, right. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. No, but yeah. joking aside, that's the value of the in-person stuff, and I love the yeah. in-person stuff because you get to be with peers that you might not have met before. You never get to sit down with. I sometimes do this for just a single company, but they are really big teams, and they've they don't nobody knows each other in the room. Right. They all work for the same company, right? <laughs> I've worked for really, four years. What? Right? No, and it literally happens all the time, and it's amazing, and it's. But it's fantastic because you do get the the benefit of that that kind of um, uh, peer interactions. Right. And but you got to carve out a day or two, and you got to go somewhere. Now your location was cool, but that aside, you have to That's go cool. somewhere. So busy, busy. The fact that you can just on demand pull it up and watch it after work or you know yeah. waiting for something to happen. Yeah. So yeah, you do have to do a little bit of work if you're going to gain anything, but completely yeah. on your own schedule. So the yeah. way the course is designed, it's basically it's about an hour and a half of video broken into six modules. They're roughly 15 minutes each. Um, so there's I'm presenting the content and ideas and concepts, but everything has exercises. Now you don't have to do those exercises. I can't enforce you to do those exercises. But what I can tell you is if you do the exercises and apply the concepts and the examples I'm giving you to your own business, you're going to gain a ton from this class. You're, you're going to learn a lot. You're going to be applying it to your job. And that's the whole point. Look, people can watch content a lot. And there's a lot of amazing content out there for people to watch or listen to. But my hope is this course is actually going to get people to start thinking about how does this thing, how what does that mean for me? And how do I do that? So it includes exercises. It includes a workbook that they can take and use at their disposal. And the thing that was, because I'm a research nerd, right? As as you described, I, I love that combination, uh, that that descriptive, right? Uh, of me. <laughs> and unicorn. Um, before, and that made him even happier. Right. Um, uh, I need a rainbow behind me for my yeah. unicorn ears or whatever. But um, so I um, I wouldn't launch this class without testing it. So um, I actually tested it with 80 beta students before I charge anybody a penny for it. 
And their feedback made a significant difference in the final deliverable that was done. But the, the reason I mentioned this is, is I took people from all points of their career. I was partnered with the University of Tennessee Digital Marketing course. I took students who are uh, in their senior year of their college experience, who don't have a lot of practical world experience. Some of them had been internships. And I had very seasoned, um, uh, experienced marketers who were sort of director level people in um, different jobs. I had people who were product marketers, people who were demand demarkers, all take the course. So I can figure out how to make sure that I am teaching it in a way that would add value to um, to them. Now it is mainly a B2B focus. It's for people who have complex buying and selling process. I told you, it can't be all things to all people or I'm not getting to that ideal customer profile and not focused. This course is the same thing. If you sell gum in a retail establishment, you may enjoy listening to this video and there's some funny stories in there, but you're not gonna get as much out of it. But if you sell a complex product or service to a buying committee where you have lots of uh, people making decisions together and and correlating correlate this class will um, offer you the techniques you need to figure out how do I define my target market how do I do qualitative research where do I use data and all the bits and pieces and then most importantly how do I activate what I learned so how do I map a content plan to the things that I've learned during that process of investigation. So good. So good. Um, you know, you really got me thinking it's a different medium than a podcast, right? So people listening to this, uh, I've basically got two pages of notes already and this, this routinely happens, but passively casually listening to a podcast, um, you know, you, you kind of pick up some things, some things stick, right. And other things sort of fly away and they'll come back when you see them again, but something like a workshop like this, a, a course like this, where, not only do you you actively listen and you're taking notes, but then you're practice, you're getting practice, you're installing this in your brain. And then, like you said, you're activating it in your own work. I love the fact that it makes it more real that way. So it's one of those things that even I'm thinking about now that I need to make sure that my consumption is a mix of podcasts, yes, but also things that are designed to help me, you know, actually keep that knowledge long term. Absolutely. I really believe that we're always learning things, right? I listen to podcasts or I listen to or watch a video or I go to a presentation at, a, at an event and I'm always inspired by something. There's something I take away almost always about, about those things, right? And, and that's really helpful. It's an idea, it's a thought, it's something, but I want to go learn more about that thing. And that's where sort of an on-demand course is designed to do is now I can go more, learn more about that thing and really dig in and start applying it to my work. And and you know what? After that, it's it's not everything, right? You're not getting a, a, a the equivalent of a year course in a hour. Well, it's and a not half. an MBA, right? <laughs> exactly. But well, it's also not an MBA. I mean, you can do it in a couple correct. days. Maybe, you can do it in a in a you can sit all at once if you wanted to, but you wouldn't do all the exercises all at no. once. It would be a good use of your time. But but you can learn a lot more than just doing those other things. And so it's another step in the process. I do this all the time for myself. I attend live conferences so that I can learn things. I watch videos. I listen. I don't listen as much to podcasts. I'm a little um, embarrassed to say that, but um, auditory only. I find my brain doesn't focus very well. Yeah, um, you just so you, need the, right, you need the right. You need the right show. You it's just need the right show. Best, yeah, I need the yeah. video. So, like someone like you who publishes the video, that helps because my eyes and ears are listening at the same time. Totally. Uh, but I also have taken structured courses. I took this great artificial intelligence business strategy course through MIT, which was a six or eight week course that you come out and I had to do all these things. 
right? I'm still going to learn that way too. Um, I interview people all the time. I join folks like you uh, and have conversations. So I really think that um, it's an opportunity for us as marketers to share what we know and the mistakes we've made and the lessons we've learned to be able to share that in many ways. People can read the book. People can take the course. People can hire me to come out and teach a custom workshop. People can hire me to do work, right? I offer all those things intentionally because I think people are in different places and it's really valuable for us to be able to offer things and meet them where they are. And my clients need to do the same thing. No matter what you're selling, you need to meet buyers where they are and deliver to them different things based on where you know what, what it is that they need in, at this time. Doesn't mean you're going to be all things to all people. We've talked right. about that. You can't. Right. But the people that you can best serve you want to make sure that you're serving them in all the ways they need you to. Yeah. Love it. So where do I get this thing? Where do we go? Oh, yeah. So um, if the simplest way to get to is if you go to unleashedpossible.com in the services section of the website, you'll see a link to the, the course. If you click on that link, it's going to take you to Teachable. Teachable is a learning platform. Um, I have really liked the way they allow you to structure courses. I find it really helpful. Students can come and go at their own pace. It's easy to find where you are and pick up. It's easy to download things in each module. Um, but if you go to unleashedpost.com, that's where you'll find the link to it. The teachable link is a little um, funky uh, in, in length, uh, so it's hard for somebody to listen to it and get it. But yeah. also, if you've been on Teachable before and taken other classes, if you look for the Unleashed Possible School, um, you can get there directly that way as well. Okay, cool. And then like a cooking class, we'll magically put that link, that direct link oh, to Teachable in the show notes. You are magical. You are Man. the ring master after all, right? Yes, yes. But but more importantly, I have really good people like Sam and other people listening to the show and Jess who are going to be magically making it all happen so that I, again, I'm the caveman with a laptop. So um, <laughs> you don't give yourself enough need a good team. Yeah. Um, yeah. okay, oh, so, I, marketing is a team sport. Thank goodness, right? It's 100%, really percent. That's where we're a little different than sales, right? Out there, you're just crushing your game versus marketing. You really got to collaborate and figure the stuff out together. Um, so what about connecting with you? So we're going we're gonna to go get your course. Um, where do you want people to reach out? Yeah, so definitely unleashedpossible.com. You know, one of the things we didn't spend a lot of time talking about, but is shipped is B2B commerce experiences. And so if you go to that website, you can book time directly with me. Um, if you want sort of a focused effort, you could just say hello and book like a casual check-in meeting. And you can do that all through the site. Um, and I encourage people to do that. I love when I open up my calendar and there's someone new I get to meet. That's like super yeah. fun. Uh, awesome. Um, and then there's also LinkedIn. I'm active there. So people can certainly find me there as well. Okay. Love it. And we will link to all those things. And yeah, I mean, what a great, when people reach out, they should definitely mention the podcast so they, so they know they're not about to get spammed on LinkedIn. <laughs> um, yeah, that definitely. I love when people tell me how they, you know, KB, hey, I heard you on, or I read this um, and wanted to say hello. And I, I really do love it. I, I, I try and respond to all of it as quickly as I can. Sometimes I can't do it immediately, but most of the time, you know, within the day, I can get back and, and say hello if it makes sense. And sometimes actually meeting and saying hello. So sometimes people just let you know what they, they heard. And um, it's awesome. I love when that happens. It's really, yeah. really rewarding. Bunch of marketers all saying, hey, here, here's your source for, uh, for attribution <laughs> yeah. tagging. And here's what I can tell you for sure. Um, yeah. I don't add any, but I don't have an email newsletter. Nobody's going to get it put on any list. Uh, so, I think I you kind of need one though. I, I mean, Well, I had one for a long time and I found I wasn't... Um, I wasn't 
uh, candidly very great at uh, maintaining it. I'm, I really oh, sure. like the long form content and the, the the other stuff. So occasionally I'll send something out to you know individual people that I think they would find valuable. Um, but I haven't. Uh, but anyways, nobody gets put on anything unless they are very explicit about wanting to be. So good, good. Um, so I know that that's a risk, right? We all we all have very full inboxes and. <laughs> Get lots of cold calls and and they keep getting more full though. It's so weird. You you know, get it to zero and it just fills back up again. It's so weird. I have never, ever for one minute been at a zero inbox. I do not know how you and others achieve that. It is not something that I am capable of. So I yeah. bow down to the zero inbox. Do you want to hear hear the strategy that I was taught? Yes. You, you should just, only use it on occasion. Oh, what do you do? So you go into your inbox, right? This is very strategic. You find the all email checkbox. You click that and you say, select all, not just what you're seeing, but all my entire all. Yes. Select them all. And you hit archive. Ah, so you're pretending that <laughs> they're in box. <laughs> yeah, no, that yeah, was I a strategy. You filter it to other folders too. Uh <laughs> True, true. But that was a strategy to conference. And the idea was, you know, yeah. if it's really important, it'll come back again. I'm not saying everyone should do that, uh, but. I totally, think about. I totally get, I do have a, I do, the way I manage it for me is I do unreads sort of filter differently in my inbox from yeah. red messages. And I like to keep things, I use it a little bit as a file system. And um, yeah. uh, if you think about like, still, like maybe you skip two pages worth and then yeah. those emails and beyond are like two for months sure. ago. And to your point, things change so rapidly that two months ago and beyond, I'll keep it around, but it's probably not a thing anymore. You know, yeah, I've just been holding really on for, to it. Um, reference something that's already been resolved or an attachment that I want to keep or something like that. Now I, I do, you know, I joke about, I've never had zero backs, which is completely true. I, I never have. And I, I suspect I never will, but I, I really do. I'm very selective and I'm really careful about how I use email communications. Smart. Email is amazing and it serves really important purposes, but if I can pick up a phone and call somebody, um, and achieve what I need to do or schedule time with them and have a quick chat, or do other things. I heavily use those other methods because I find that those are more, or there's a, maybe there's a, you know, a message through a LinkedIn or something else that can be um, more purposeful and, and, and more effective. Um, so I try and use email for the way it is designed versus yeah. for all communications. And that's not the case everywhere. I've definitely worked with companies that um, literally everything is an email. Um, sure. that, that I find that tough. That is tough. That's tough, tough to manage. But I will say, next time we get together, let's get some coffee. Um, you go get the coffee. Leave your laptop open in front of me for like 30 seconds, and I can help you get to inbox zero. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what friends are for. Getting I love it. You're going to archive zero. it all, all on me. Well, yeah. Uh, we, we'll definitely do uh, a beverage. We'll, we'll do that part for sure. I'm like, look what happened. Well, your email. It's all empty. How did that ever happen? Hey, you're welcome. Right. There's probably most of it in there that nobody would miss, right? A lot of that, what's in there is not important. Um, and so how do you, you know, I do think it's our job. And, you know, it's funny. I know we're not talking about marketing when you were talking about sort of this organizing yourselves, but I think it's a raises a really important point. All of this that we're talking about, the people that we're trying to solicit have the exact same experience. They have these overflowing inboxes and voicemail boxes and things, and they're working differently than they worked before. And so we do, this is part of that, like, understand your buyers, understand it. 
I will um, just tell you this little tidbit. I was helping a client um, build a presentation for a big conference that's coming up that we're all flying to in Florida. And they're um, selling to um, engineers who work for energy companies. So really technical, operational people. And we were building the slides. I'm like, ah, there's too many words. Stop, right? And I'm like, and I'm like, wait, Samantha, hold on. We're not presenting to marketers. So I sort of did a little mini test with them, folks. You know what? We they like different things than I like, right? So it was a really just a reminder to myself why we have to do those moments of pause, understand our audience, and make sure we're doing the things that deliver what they need, not necessarily what we like or prefer. Yeah, hundred percent. That wraps it up with a bow. Got it. You got to You got to ask them. You got to learn from them so that. Your marketing can be powered and powerful. Right. Uh, constantly learning. Constantly. Yes. Yes. Constantly learning and asking and listening and and then adjusting and evolving, to your point, uh, is so important. Thank you so much for coming on here. I have learned so much from you. Um, every time we chat, that happens. I, you can't help it. I can't help it. And it's just amazing. So I, I really appreciate it. I can't wait to see everyone signing up for the course, too. Oh, well, thank you. I hope um, people really get value out of it. And if you do take it, give me feedback. Um, I do have a number of new additional courses that are in the pipeline, um, but I'm not going to build them until people are really clear about what they want and need. So I have some ideas and I know where I'm headed, but don't be shy about reaching out because I, 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 be you know, I believe what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. And that, thank you so much, Casey, for having me on. It's always a pleasure. Absolutely. And for those hearing that, she means that too. She really does mean me reach out and give her thoughts on things you're trying to learn. If you're trying to learn marketing, this is the person to learn it from. And she's going to be the most kind and forgiving. You can ask the dumb questions. Uh, she survived an hour with me. Imagine that. So, uh, and, and I know you learned something even just passively listening to this podcast because I literally have two pages of notes over here, front and back. So if that's the case, share this episode with one other person, nine other people, 3,000 people, whoever, but get good information into other people's hands. That's thought leadership. Um, with that, Samantha, you are the bomb. Thank you again. Thank you so much. All right, everyone. This has been a crazy, crazy cool episode of the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will catch you all next time.